You got a woo. I did. Thank you for that woo. I, I don't get too many of those. Jason was impressed with that, but I appreciate it. And my wife's not even in this service, so I don't know who it was from. But. Um, yeah, Lord's Prayer. Uh, I, I don't know if it will surprise you, but that people have said that the Lord's Prayer is probably uh, the most quoted set of words in the Western world. Definitely. It's definitely the most quoted scripture, even in secular places uh, in the Western world. If you don't believe me, you've never been in a locker room, right? Uh, a while back, uh, I was watching a, a Netflix series called Last Chance You, and it started uh, by looking at a football team, junior college football team down in Mississippi, and one of the stars was the coach. And Let's just say he had a way with words, uh, four-letter words, okay? I guess he felt like that that was uh, the way to motivate his players. And so what I found fairly ironic is like in the locker room before the game, he would give this big motivational, let's get out there and hit him speech. And again, he liked to use language we may not use in our Baptist churches. And um, so he'd get done with that speech and he'd go, okay, guys, let's take a knee. And right after haranguing them, they took a knee and said, our Father who art in heaven. And I thought, I, I don't, that doesn't, you know, doesn't go together. But again, we, know, we understand that, right? That happens all over the place. Probably both locker rooms at the same time were doing the Lord's Prayer. Why? It was a good luck charm, right? It was something they did hoping to have a victory that day. And while we, I guess we can be glad that people are quoting the Scripture in the world, unfortunately, they quote it without understanding it. It's misunderstood. It's, it's misused. And on a more serious note, um, we need the Lord's Prayer. Not as a good luck charm, but for what it is. I mean, right now, we live uh, in a very broken world. The last two years uh, have been a never-ending cycle of stuff. Seems like Satan's having a heyday in our nation, and in our families, and even in our churches. Um, some of you may have come into this room today with heavy hearts, raw emotions, and it's really at those times it's difficult to find the words to pray, know how to form our prayers. So, as Jason said, we want to take not just today, but the next four weeks to look at Jesus' instructions on how we should pray. So, to start, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 6, uh, and we're going to look at the passage. And what, when, you're, when you find Matthew 6, or uh, I'd like you, if you're able, to stand with me, and I'm going to read the first couple of verses, Matthew 6, 7. But when I get to the Lord's Prayer, it's going to be green. You might want to use that one just to make sure you have, if you have, don't have an ESV version so we can all be on the same page, okay? So I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll join together and, and read the Lord's Prayer. So I'll start in verse 7. Jesus is talking, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles and football coaches do. <laughs> for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So pray then like this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all God's people said, amen, and you may be seated. Um, the Lord's Prayer can easily become inauthentic prayer. Uh, in fact, it could become meaningless to us. But it could also be a symptom of a larger problem. It could become a symptom of meaningless spirituality, a symptom of inauthentic religiosity. And what's ironic is that the Lord's Prayer is not just all by itself. It's in a context of a sermon Jesus was preaching called the Sermon on the Mount. You've probably heard of that. And really what Jesus is doing in that sermon is teaching his followers and challenging those who aren't following him to live a kingdom life, to live a right-side-up life. You see, they were living, really, an upside-down life. Dallas Willard, a, a Christian writer, once told a story of a young pilot who was learning to fly with her instruments. By the way, I told this story and said gauges in the first service, and a friendly Air Force man corrected me. Uh, it's called instruments, okay? And she was learning to fly by her instruments. And unfortunately, though, uh, as she was learning, she hadn't quite got it. Uh, she was flying one day and got in a cloud bank, and she, was, and she was learning in Colorado, by the way. And as you know, in Colorado, there's lots of mountains. And when she was in this cloud bank, she got vertigo. She got flipped upside down, and she got all cattywampus. And she knew a mountain was coming, and so she tried to go up, but what she thought was up was down. And it took her right into the side of the mountain. It's tragic, because she was flying upside down. See, what Jesus is doing in the, in the Sermon on the Mount is talking to a bunch of people who were flying in life upside down. What they thought was up was down, and what they thought was down was up. And Jesus is correcting them. He's using that sermon to teach them to fly right side up. And he takes some of the key questions in life. First, he asks, who are the blessed? Remember the Beatitudes? In other words, what's a good life? And, and how, do you, how do you get to live a good life? And what's his answer? Well, you look to the meat not the proud. You look to the poor in spirit, not the rich. You, you look to the persecuted. Well, that doesn't make sense. Of course it doesn't. We're, we're flying upside down. He also asked the question, what about the law, the Ten Commandments? There he's saying or asking, Who, what, gets me, what, what gets me okay with God? How do I know I'm okay with God? And they just thought, hey, you got the Ten Commandments, you check the ten boxes, and you're okay. But Jesus says, by the way, if you lust after a woman, that's adultery. It, by the way, if, if you call your friend a fool, that's murder. Why? Right side up. Then, then he asks um, you know, questions about religious practices, about giving to the needy and fasting and then prayer. 
Jesus is smashing categories right and left. He's blowing their minds. And he's also blowing their souls. In fact, at the end of the sermon, Matthew says this, and Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Right now, in our world, it seems like everybody's flying upside down. It's increasingly hard to know how to fly the right path. We, we need to take our eyes and find the instrument panel, get the compass, and make sure we're going in the right direction. That's what Jesus is helping us do. Right side up living, kingdom living. And he talks about, in that midst, a kingdom prayer. How to pray authentically. You see, kingdom prayer is right side up prayer. Kingdom prayer is authentic prayer. Kingdom prayer is, su- kingdom prayer is supernatural. It's life changing. I just want to give you one big idea to start the series. Okay? Just one. We haven't started school yet. We're ramping up. So I'm just going to give you one lesson. All right, and here it is. Kingdom prayer begins with a name. That's it. Kingdom prayer, right side up prayer, begins with a name. We all know names matter, right? It, it, it ex- names, to use names, express a relationship, express um, love. I, I tell my students at Cedarville that I'm not very good with names. So if I, cro- if I, if I come across you in the, in, in the sidewalk and say, hey, buddy, or hi, pal, I don't know your name. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I, I, but if I use your name, I, well, you know, names are important. And often they distinguish our relationship to a person, right? Calls your attention to that relationship. Anything you say, boss. Yes, sir, General Smith. Names matter. So what Jesus is doing by teaching us that prayer begins with a name, he's telling us that prayer, by the way, is not a formula. It isn't plugging certain words in certain places. Prayer is not a ritual, not a good luck charm for locker rooms. Prayer is about a presence. And we get to that presence by using a name. That's what prayer is. Kingdom prayer, and Jesus teaches us, begins by addressing our Father. How do we address our Father? First, we come into His presence as a child to a father. The first truth about starting with this name is that we come into God's presence as a child to a father. We come to Him to borrow a phrase from Tim Keller, and not on family terms, not business terms. We come to him in family terms, not business terms. With all the ways that Jesus could begin this prayer, he chooses Father. That's the relationship that we have. And what he's saying is, our relationship to this God to whom we pray is based on grace, not performance. It's grace, not performance. You see, with employers, they're contractual relationships. Tomorrow you'll go to work, and if you do your job faithfully, you will eventually get a paycheck. And that's fine. That's the way it should work. You perform, you're accepted. But that's not the way it's supposed to work in families. In families, you are born into that family. You are accepted first. 
and then you perform. It's not performance-based, it's grace-based. And I, this is the, I don't think we know or understand how mind-blowing that was for Jesus' listeners. That wasn't the way they thought of God normally. In the Old Testament, hundreds and hundreds of times they refer to God. Fifteen, in 39 books, 15 times there's a reference to God as a father. Yet when you get to the New Testament, first four books of the Gospels, 165 times. And in Matthew chapter 6 is the first time in Scripture we are told to pray to God as a father. You see, in the Old Testament, it's almost like God is holding us at arm's length. The scene you might imagine uh, is the tabernacle and the holy of holies. We're on that day of atonement, that one day of every year, one man, the high priest, would represent all the people in that one room to be in God's presence. God was really kind of at arm's length. But now that we get to the New Testament, things kind of change. Instead of an arm's length God, now we get a God who's the father of a prodigal son. Now we get a God who embraces us when we come to him. That's that's how Jesus is blowing their minds. Kingdom prayer, it, it begins with a name. We come to him as a father. If he were our employer, then we'd have to do things. We'd have to be holy to be good so he'd think well of us and then he'd receive our prayers. But that's not the way it works. It's not a spiritual contract. We don't have to be clever so God will love us. Rather, he's our father. He receives us with compassion and listens to us when we're weak and sickly as we do with our children. He comes to us with joy when he hears our stammering requests. He's gentle and patient, even when we are thoughtless. Now, I, I, I need to take in a little, just a little aside and acknowledge it. For some of you, when I talk about God as a father, that is not a good thing. Your memories of a father, unfortunately, living in a broken, fallen world are not good memories. And, and I want to first acknowledge that pain but I also just secondly want to challenge you. Don't use your father to measure God. It's the other way around. And in fact, for all of us, whether we had a, a struggling dad or a good dad, for all of us, God is the father we've always dreamed of our entire life. He's a father, not an employer. We come to him with sweet surrender to his perfect parental care. We come to him with sweet surrender to his perfect parental care. Um, When Jesus says to pray, before we say, give us, we say, thy will be done. Note the order. See, we often go in right with the asking. Why? Because we think we know how things should be, don't we? But that's not the way it works in father-son relationships. Uh, I have five kids. One of my sons, Seth, when he was three and four, loved to ride things. And one of his favorite things to ride was his big wheel. But back then, we lived in Michigan. 
And we lived in a town and in a neighborhood. By the way, that's not a big wheel. It's a bike, just so you know. But um, I don't have a picture of him when it's a big wheel. But, uh, he, but we lived in this town, and we lived on a block, right, a, a city block. And, and so it was a very nice neighborhood. Unfortunately, the sidewalks all around, so take walks and things. Uh, unfortunately, though, if you turned left out of our little driveway, you went down a hill, and it fed right into the major thoroughfare of the town where trucks went back and forth. So we had clear instructions. When you ride, stay in the driveway. And to us as fathers and mothers, that makes perfect sense, but not to three-year-olds. And at one point, one day, he got going, and we didn't notice. And before long, a neighbor called and said, hey, did you know Seth's over here? He was on the other side of of the neighborhood. The good news was he didn't turn left. He turned right, so he was okay. The bad news for him was uh, we needed to have some correction that happened. <laughs> and we laugh and we chuckle because we're old guys, right? But for a three-year-old, it wasn't a laughing matter. He knew what he wanted to do, and he just took off. Starting to see the parallel. See, what Jesus is doing by emphasizing that we say, thy will be done, that we, to recognize that we can be spiritual three-year-olds if we're not careful. We'll just get in our big wheels and take off. See, if, when we struggle with worry, when we struggle with anxiousness, we're spiritual three-year-olds thinking we know how life should go. And God may not get it right. When we struggle with bitterness, we're spiritual three-year-olds thinking we know how life should have gone but God didn't get it right. What Jesus is doing, he's inviting us to lay down the burden of thinking we know. There is much solace when we say, thy will be done. It takes all the pressure off. My favorite quote about prayer, God will always give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. That's why we come to him as a father who we know loves us. Kingdom prayer begins with a name. First, we come to God as a father. Secondly, we come to God as a king. Secondly, we come to him as a king. First, as a child to a father, and second, as a servant to a king. Now, the order is important. Okay? Father first, then king. Be, uh, you know, we, we understand how much he loves us. We understand that as a father. Then we can start to submit to him as the king. That's, that's, that's the direction. And we come to him as a king first in awe. All right? That's just our natural response to a king. The first 40% of the Lord's Prayer is all about God. What does that tell us about how our prayer life should be? The first 40% of prayer is not about us and our needs. Sometimes, what Jesus is telling us, sometimes there's nothing we need more in life than not to look at our needs, but to look at God. To plunge ourselves into the doctrine of God and who he is. He's our father. He's in heaven. 
He's infinite and transcendent, but not far away. He should be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. That means he's holy and he's set apart and he's unique. But he still has a name. He's personal. Your kingdom come. Our father has a kingdom. Ergo, he's a king. Remember what it was like at recess bragging about your dad? My dad can throw a baseball farther than your dad. Well, my dad could do more push-ups than your dad. You know those little battles we'd have? I don't know if the females did that, but I know the males did that. I, I got to be careful. But, uh, well, my mom cooked. No, no, don't. Oh, don't do that. Oh, I know it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Take it back. Please rewind the tape there. Let's start again. No, but what would it must be like to have a father who's a king? Right? Well, my dad's a king. Do you know what your father's like? Do you know? I, actually, it's, there's places in the Bible 